Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Help for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now, you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Issuing and Updating Your Employee Handbook Informative. If you are unable to listen and would like to find the links, you can check out our Facebook and YouTube pages, as well as links on our iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify platforms. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now, let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Brian Ahern is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, an international trainer TEDx presenter and consultant he specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday situations. He's only one of 20 individuals in the world who currently holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. Brian's first book, Influence People, was named one of the top 100 influence books of all time by Book Authority. His new book, Persuasive Selling, debuted in January as an Amazon new release bestseller. So, Brian, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me on, Candy. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, before we get into the meat of the topic that I do have for you today, I would love for you to tell us just a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved in your field. Okay. Well, I spent the majority of my career in the insurance industry working for a large national carrier and then what was called a super regional carrier. And during that time, with my involvement in sales training, I came across the work of Dr. Robert Cialdini uh, around influence and ethical persuasion. And the light bulb came on. I thought as soon as I heard him talk about the psychology, this is the underpinning of all selling. It's why certain sales approaches work and why certain ones don't. And uh, I was really intrigued by the fact that it was all based on research from social psychology. So I could feel confident to get behind it. And I really liked his stance on ethics. So I began to use 
uh, that video and some of his other work in my sales training and as fate would have it, his presentation was at Stanford and I had signed up for Stanford's marketing. And one day, one of their marketing flyers came across my desk. It had his picture in bold letters at the top. It said bestseller and right underneath it, it said, call it influence persuasion or even manipulation. And mm -hmm. I thought, I can't believe they use that word because <laughs> he's so clear about non-manipulative ways mm -hmm. to influence people. So I emailed Stanford and I never heard from Stanford, but I basically said, I don't know anybody who wants to be manipulated and I don't know anybody who's looking to become a good manipulator. The mm -hmm. word cannot be helping your sales. Sometime later, Cialdini's organization reached out to me to thank me because they said, you sent an email to Stanford and because of that email, they're changing the marketing of all of our materials. Mm. And that was the beginning of my relationship with him, which is closing in on 20 years now. Wow. Well, that proves one person and feedback that you give can make a difference, Stephen. It, it not only changed my career, Candy, it changed the course of my life because wow. what we do with our careers is so much of our life. But two mm -hmm. and a half years ago, I left the insurance industry to do this full time. So my whole lifestyle has changed. It is my career. It's changed how I interact with my wife, my daughter and, and other people outside of work. So it was it was truly life changing. Well, I would love to actually start talking about the topic that we have. So first of all, I would love for you just to talk about why is influence all about people? Well, when I first started working with this, it hit me, this acronym, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical. Mm -hmm. Those people who are just listening, that spells people, powerful, mm -hmm. every day. Yes. And, and it's just, it's beautiful. It, it just encapsulates what I do because what I share is powerful because it's based on research. When people mm -hmm. learn what the research says, usually they're like, wow, I didn't think it could make that big a difference. It's a skill that we use every day from the moment we're born until the day that we die. I like to say womb to tomb. Mm -hmm. We are trying to influence people to get our needs met. Um, right. There are opportunities out there right now that people don't recognize in terms of how they could use some of the research. But once they start to see it, they're amazed at all the opportunity that's available for them. Uh, I, I often liken it to buying a new car. Mm -hmm. Once you buy your new car and you start driving around and you feel like every car you see on the road is your car. Right. Your, your car has been there all along, but, but your perspective changed. So, so there's these powerful everyday opportunities. And then the next P is persuade. And when I talk about persuasion, I like to use Aristotle's definition, which is the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Mm. So it's really, it's about changing people's behavior. It may change with, uh, it may start with a change of mind or a change of heart, but if it doesn't lead into the behavior change, usually we're not getting what we need. Mm -hmm. If we do it well, it can have a lasting impact. And then the umbrella over all of this, the final letter in people is E for ethical. We have to do this in a way that yes. allows the other person to feel good about the interaction and allows you to feel good that both people can walk away and feel better off as a result. Mm -hmm. That's so true. I think, I mean, ethics is important all across the board, but like you said, I mean, manipulation, you feel like you've been taken advantage of where if you're saying, if you're doing this in an ethical way and the person understands and appreciates that, you know, it's a totally different feeling. Right. We talk about using this psychology to inform people into yes. It's not pushing or pulling or twisting arms or, or mm -hmm. anything like that. It's taking what science says about communicating so you can communicate more effectively. And, and I would have to believe that most people who are listening to this or watching this, 
believe that they work for a good company, believe mm -hmm. that uh, their clients would be better off if they use their products or services. So then it really comes down to how do we communicate that? And if we mm -hmm. rely on what the science says, we can be much more effective in messaging that and informing people so that they can make the best decisions possible. Right. So I would love to have your definition of persuasion. What would you say, you know, the dictionary definition is or your definition, just so someone really understands that term? Well, as I mentioned before, the P, the, mm -hmm. the second P is persuade. And again, most people, if I ask an audience, what does it mean to persuade? Mm -hmm. Inevitably, what I hear most often is to change somebody's thinking or to change their mind, to change their heart. Right. And, and I always acknowledge that may be the starting point, mm -hmm. but if it doesn't go beyond that, it might not be good enough. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. I came out of the insurance industry. If I share statistics with you or any of your listeners about the dangers of distracted driving, you know, looking at your phone and interacting with something other than keeping your eyes on the road, I'm sure people's thoughts would change because they hadn't heard those statistics before. And so they might be able to say, wow, Brian, you really changed my thinking on this. But if they get in their car and they interact with their phone, have I really done anything to solve the problem? No. I haven't. No. So for me, persuasion is about behavior change. And that's why I, I love Aristotle's definition. Mm -hmm. the, the art of getting someone to do something that they mm -hmm. wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. Right. So, you know, in, in business, whether it's your employees, vendors, clients, they all have their own priorities. Mm -hmm. And you need them to do something. So how we communicate is probably going to be the difference maker between a yes and a no. Right. Well, I would think in that situation, that example that you gave too, like statistics can be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, you know, one in how many ever people that happens to, but I think it might be even more impactful if there's a story associated with it where somebody experienced, you know, as a result of that, you know, I think that would tell even more of a story. Yes. Statistics are, are certainly important. They can support the argument that you're making, but if your mm -hmm. argument is just based on the statistics, usually you're going to fail mm -hmm. because people tend to share too much information. So it becomes overwhelming. They think that just by sharing a big number that that's going to motivate people. But sometimes when people are confronted with how big a problem is, they shut down. They think it's so big, I can't right. personally do anything. But when you share that story about the one person who was impacted and they can maybe in that person see somebody that they know that they would want to help, that pulls at the heartstring and that can get us to to take action. So mm -hmm. absolutely. I think a, a good story supported with really solid statistical information to back up that you're not just putting an emotional appeal is, is an right. extremely effective way. Mm -hmm. So I also heard that you've used the term persuasion. So what is that and why is that important? So persuasion, it's a little bit of a play on the word persuasion. So it's mm -hmm. P-R-E hyphen suasion. Persuasion is really all about what you do before you ever make your ask. And mm -hmm. I, I like to call it setting the stage. What can you do to set the stage to make it easier for somebody to ultimately say yes to you? And there are so many things that we can engage, sights, sounds, surroundings, all of these things impact how we think, feel, and behave. And depending on where you need to get somebody thinking about how can I set the stage to make it easier for them to say yes becomes a multiplier 
of your ability to influence. And mm -hmm. I can give you an example that I shared last week during a keynote. There was a little bit of research that was done where some researchers wanted to see if they could impact people's willingness to give their email address. Mm. And so what they did was imagine, Candy, you walk into a grocery store and I greet you and I say, hi, I work for a marketing firm and we represent ABC company. They've come out with a new type of pop and we're asking customers like you, if you're willing to give us your email address, we'll send you an email with instructions on how you can get free samples of this new pop. Would you be willing to give your email? And under that straight up ask, 33% of the people willingly shared their email. But at a different time, 76%. So two and a half mm -hmm. times more people said yes to the exact same request. The difference, when those people walked in the door at the grocery store, somebody like me would say, excuse me, do you consider yourself to be adventurous? The kind of person who likes to try new things. That's called a single shoot question. You are gonna mm -hmm. look for confirmation. And we can all think of a time or two where we were a little wild and adventurous and we all try new things all the time. So almost every person, I think it was 70 of 72 said yes. And then they stepped in and said, I work for the marketing firm and they gave the rest of the spiel. And that's where two and a half times more people. The mm -hmm. difference there was they got them thinking, I like to try new things. Mm -hmm. It makes sense then to give your email to try this new type of pop. That right. was setting the stage to make it easier for them to say yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I've heard before, and I don't know if this kind of goes along with exactly kind of what you're talking about, but often if you're talking with people, understanding like their motivations or things like that too, like if someone is risk averse versus they love to take risks, you know, or things like that, and you understand maybe those types of things about their personality, that that also kind of helps with how you would even present information? Like, do you like teach that, explain that, or does that go along with what you're talking about? Absolutely goes along with that because coming out of the insurance industry, sometimes a client is very, um, they're a risk taker. Mm -hmm. So they might say, you know what? I want to minimize my insurance uh, outlay mm -hmm. because the odds of me using it are pretty low. I don't want to pay any more than I have to. I am willing to take higher deductibles. I am willing to forego certain coverages, I might take lower limits. They do things to, they assume the risk themselves so that they can save money. Mm -hmm. If you were an insurance agent and you knew based on your experience that even though the odds of a loss um, of a particular type are very low, that if that loss were to happen, it would devastate that client. Mm -hmm. If I were in that position, then I would say to myself, what might I say or do that would get that person to be in a more risk averse mindset so that when I begin to talk about this, they are more open to the, to that idea. Mm -hmm. um, now, how you would do that would take some thought because you'd need to know that client, but it could be as simple as referencing uh, a loss or something that was in the news that was kind of big news, mm -hmm. getting that person to think about that and maybe asking a question or two about, you know, how do you think those, that, that business is going to fare, but just getting them in that, mindset where they're thinking about loss might make it easier for them to say, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. So you have a better chance of getting them to accept that proposal with that particular coverage that you as a professional know they need. Mm -hmm. So does that, does that answer that for you? 
Yeah, no, I think that helps. Like I said, I'm, you know, interested in this topic too, and I'm sure the listeners will find it interesting. And I've, like I said, I've heard different things about what you kind of need to understand when you're going into having a conversation. But if it's someone you've never even met, you may not even know those types of, you know, things too. So understanding, you know, what you may or may not be able to do to bring into that conversation regarding, you know, having that selling conversation, you know, I think it's, there's pros and cons, you know, to knowing all of that, of course. And it's, if you, if you're going to be able to know it, great. If not, you're still just going to go in and have that conversation and hopefully, you know, be able to actually engage and understand where they're coming from. So you truly, you're not trying to push the sale if they don't really need it, but understanding what they do need so you can help them figure out the solutions. Right. Right. And, and I can speak only from my background, but I can tell you candy that in insurance, the tendency is not that people buy more insurance than they need. It's mm-hmm. that they don't buy enough. Mm-hmm. I remember this goes back into the early 2000s. Um, the company that I worked for at the time, there was a huge loss. It was the biggest loss in the history of the company at the time in a small town in Missouri called Joplin, where a tornado mm-hmm. went through. Mm-hmm. And, and according to the information I remember, it was something like two thirds of, of homeowners were underinsured. Mm. So problem isn't that people are buying too much. The problem is that quite often people are not buying enough. So if, if I were an insurance agent with that thought in mind, I would absolutely present what I could. And I'd rather have them deny a few coverages, but ultimately purchase more, not so I can make more money so that God forbid, if something happens, those people are fully covered because nobody ever said, darn my insurance agent, he or she had me fully covered. I'm not out a penny. But right. an awful lot have said, darn, I wasn't. And now I'm having to, to absorb a lot of this loss. Right. Well, I think that's good to touch on here, too, is to say often people will think like, oh, they're just trying to sell me more so they can make more money. But if we're coming from that perspective of we want to find the solution that fits your needs the best, we really are trying to serve you. Right. And so, you know, it's not like again, we're trying to force you into something, but we're trying to find out what your needs truly are so we can help you. Yes. And one of the principles that we talk about when we talk about these principles of influence is called liking. And everybody gets this. It's easier for us to say yes to people that we know and like. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times salespeople, when they, when they hear that, what they think is, oh, I need to get candy to like me. Mm-hmm. And it's true that if you like me more, you are more open to saying yes to whatever I might offer. But to avoid the trap of what you just said about, well, you know, selling more than you need, things that I might not want, the real key for that principle is that I would use it to come to like you. Mm-hmm. The same things that will make you like me will also cause me to like you. So, for example, if we find out we have something in common or if I pay you a genuine compliment, in either case, that would make you like me more, but it also causes me to like you more. And the mm-hmm. more I come to like you, well, I always say friends do right by friends, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm really getting to know you, Candy, then I will be looking out for your best interest. And right. the more you get to know that, the more open you are because you say, you know what? I can tell Brian truly likes me. He cares about me. So I'm going to listen closely to what he says. I might not always have the right solution, but mm-hmm. you will pay more attention to that and be more open to the fact that I am a professional and I have your best interest at heart. So that is one of the things that people miss most often, and they're just trying to make a sale. And I get Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's your your livelihood, (laughs) but you will do better by your clients 
by mm-hmm. tapping deeply into this principle and getting to know and like them. Exactly. Well, and I know earlier when you were talking about, you know, the, the term manipulation and kind of the negative connotations. So can you talk about how persuasion is really different than manipulation? Because some people might see it as a similar thing. Sure. Um, manipulation usually means that it's one-sided, where one, one side is taking advantage of another. And in order to avoid manipulation, we always talk about three things are necessary. The first thing is truthfulness. Mm. I always have to be honest in what I'm sharing, but it's not just telling the truth, Candy. It's also not hiding the truth. Mm. So I'm talking to you from my home. If you were going to look at my home to purchase it and downstairs in my basement, I have a really nice gym and I have a rug there. There's a crack in the basement. If you look at the house and you buy it and then you move that rug and find the crack and you say, Hey, Brian, why didn't you tell me about the crack in the basement? If I say, Candy, you didn't ask, that's Mm. truthful, but you're not going to look at me as an honest broker, right? Right. What we learn as we learn about these principles is I can talk about a shortcoming like that. If If you came into my home and I walked you downstairs pretty quickly and said, hey, Candy, it looks like you really like this house, but before we go any further, I want to be very upfront with you. And I take you downstairs and I show you the gym and then I say, here, and I move the carpet and you see that there's a crack. And I'd say, Candy, I would never want you to make a decision, not knowing something like this, mm-hmm. you're probably at that point going to say, wow, that guy's pretty honest. Right. And, and, and because of my honesty, I can also talk about all the great qualities of my home and you are going to make a more informed decision. Mm-hmm. You may think to yourself like, well, I, I can get that thing fixed. You're not going to have the same ill will as if you discovered. Right. So, mm-hmm. so we tell the truth and we don't hide the truth. The second thing is we only use the psychology that is natural to the situation. By that, I mean, um, people are motivated when they think something's rare or going away. We Mm. call that scarcity. If something's not scarce, don't act like it is. Mm -hmm. Because just to get somebody to say yes. Um, Social proof tells us that people tend to follow the crowd. If lots of people aren't doing something, don't act like it. Don't say that they are. Don't, don't, falsely use the psychology just because you know it's powerful to get people to take action. Right. And the third thing that has to be a part of this is obviously if I'm a seller, the transaction is probably going to be good for me, but it has to be good for you too. And I like to put it this way, good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. Mm-hmm. If we can both walk away and feel, you might've liked to pay less for my house. I would have liked to have gotten more, but we both walk away and feel like we got a square deal and, and it was all truthful and the psychology was natural. I can feel very good about the fact that this was not manipulation. I simply used psychology to support the sale of my home. Mm-hmm. So does, yeah. does, does that help in terms of the mm-hmm. distinction? Yeah, sure. I, like I said, I think just from the kind of the connotation that we've used before too, manipulation always just sounds negative persuasion. I, I do see that more as, you know, at least if it's not positive, at least kind of in the middle, it's not like I'm trying to make you do what I want you to do. Right. But persuasion definitely is more on the positive side. Some people may still consider it a little bit negative, especially if they are maybe not as able to like stand up for what they want and they just feel like, okay, the person's just talking about this. So they're just kind of going that direction. Um, but I do think persuasion is much more positive and manipulation just always sounds negative. You know? terms, terms always change over the course of time. You know, uh, a woodworker 
manipulating a piece of wood, that's not a bad thing, right? You expect mm -hmm. that, that that woodworker is going to do with the wood whatever he or she wants. Right. But you don't want you don't want to say, oh, that salesperson is going to do whatever he or she wants with, with me as a client because mm -hmm. there's relationship there. When it comes to persuasion, too, you know, I, I had somebody once who said, I never try to persuade anybody. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Every time you try to get someone to do something, get mm -hmm. your spouse to take out the trash, get your kids to do their homework, get an employee to respond to your email, you are persuading people. You can't deny that. And so mm -hmm. I've always told people, if you realize that I'm doing this all the time, I might as well learn how to do it ethically and how to do mm -hmm. it well. Right. I think that's a key point right there, ethically, right? I mean, at least that's my feeling too. I'm definitely an ethical person and that's important to me. That's one of my main, you know, um, when people also ask to like, what are your core values or something to being an ethical person, me being ethical, but also wanting to deal with people who are ethical. That's a big thing for me. I love it when people ask the question, because as I said at the opening, when I introduced myself, if it weren't for the word manipulation, I would not be sitting here talking to you. I would not have left my corporate job. I would not have met Robert Cialdini. That's how strongly I felt about it, that I just shot an email over to Stanford, not knowing if I would ever hear from them, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And usually when I have a conversation with people or I share that with an audience, I think people get there like, this guy really believes in what he's doing and he's passionate about it. And that brings them in too, because I think they gain trust through that story. Right. So I have down that you have principles of influence. So I would love to find out what are those principles of influence? Okay. So Robert Cialdini is coming out with, I think it's going to be his fifth or sixth edition of his book, Influence, Science and Practice. His first edition came out in the mid eighties and he had identified six universal principles that across the globe humans respond to. And he coined the term, the principles of influence. Now he didn't discover the psychology. It's, it's always been there, mm -hmm. but he did put it into a framework that people could understand. And the six principles that he introduced in that book are, as I mentioned before, liking. It's easier for us to say yes to the people we know and like. Uh, the next one is reciprocity. That feeling of obligation we have mm -hmm. to give back to people when they first give to us. And then I mentioned social proof as, as, pack animals as social creatures, we look to other people for cues on how we should be thinking and acting and feeling. And then there is authority. We defer to people that are in positions of authority or have superior wisdom or we view as experts. We are more willing to follow their lead. And then there's a principle called commitment and consistency that it's much easier for somebody to follow through and do something if they have first committed to it so getting someone to, to commit to you is a very powerful lever to get them to actually follow through. And then scarcity, the, mm -hmm. that, that sense that we want things more when we think that they're rare or will be unavailable soon. Mm -hmm. In 2016, when he wrote Presuasion, he also introduced a seventh principle called unity. And mm -hmm. when he was asked, why didn't you introduce that back, you know, during the first book, you know, is, is this new? And he said, no, it's not new. He said, but it was just kind of undercover. I just didn't see it. And mm. unity, unity is about shared identity. Mm -hmm. It goes, it's, it's not just the principle of liking, like, oh, we have something in common and we, and we really love that thing. Shared identity. I mean, the, the biggest shared identity that we have is family. 
Mm -hmm. There are things that we will do for family members, even distant family members that we don't know well, that we might not ever do for a friend. Mm -hmm. Why do we do it? Because that's family. Uh, Another example, my father served in the Marines. From the time I was a little boy, I could always tell when dad meets a Marine, he seems closer to them than me, his, his own flesh and blood. And I get it now because there's, there's a brotherhood of, of going through, you know, uh, basic training. Uh, he served in Vietnam, being in combat. There is a depth of relationship there that may not be genetic, but, mm-hmm. but it's just as powerful. My dad would do anything for another Marine. Mm-hmm. And when he helped a Marine in a very real sense, he was helping himself. Mm. When a Marine reaches out and helps him, in a sense, that Marine's helping themselves. So that's unity. It's, it's this um, a desire for us to say yes to those that are of us, that, that we have this group or shared identity. So those are the seven principles that, that we teach throughout our workshops and talk about in our keynotes and things like that. So out of those seven, is there one that you think is the most important for a business owner? That's a pretty common question. And usually I say, well, it depends. It mm. depends on the situation. You know, if, if you're really looking to form a relationship with somebody, you really want to tap into liking or, or genuine reciprocity by giving. If you have a pretty good relationship and you just sense that maybe your coworkers or maybe a client just isn't sure what to do, they'd be like, I, I like you plenty, Candy, but I'm just a little nervous about what I need to do that's where tapping into social proof or authority, uh, mm-hmm. letting them know what lots of other people are doing or, or what do experts say about this might give them the confidence to take the next step. And then of course, there are always people who like you and they're confident what they should do. They're just dragging their feet. Mm-hmm. And that's where we look to the principle of commitment and consistency or scarcity. If we hearken back to what somebody's already said they would do, sometimes that's enough to get them to do it. Or if we tell them what they might lose as opposed to what they might gain, a lot of times that does. So it really depends the context that you're in and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there's a difference between just being a business owner and being a salesperson too, because a business owner has all these different aspects where the salesperson is really trying to focus on, you know, getting out their product or the, the service. So is there one of those principles that's a little bit more helpful for a salesperson versus someone who's actually just operating a business? Well, I think the most important principle in the sales process is the principle of consistency. Hmm. Because when I, when I looked at the sales process and I do a one day training course called persuasive selling, where we look at the eight steps in the sales process, consistency appears more than any of them. So, Mm -hmm. and, and it's also used in what's called an upfront close. If I ask you very clearly about what it's going to take for you to make a decision, maybe to move your business to our company and you articulate what those things are, if I can come back and show you, hey, I've done A, B, and C, just like you wanted, Candy, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot easier for you to say yes to me. If mm-hmm. I've never asked you that, and I come back and go, hey, look what we did, we've done A and B and C, you don't feel as much draw to do business with me because you didn't commit to that up front. Mm-hmm. So I think that the principle of, of commitment and consistency is the most important. And the other reason is because so much of selling is built on asking good questions. And when you ask those good questions, you are building on commitment and consistency. Mm-hmm. 
And earlier in the conversation, you know, I brought up having understood, you know, different personality types. Some people are risk averse and some people love to take risk and some people, you know, there's just all different types of things that um, people have personality wise. So are some of these principles more catered to certain personalities and others are for different personalities or does your personality not even affect those principles? I think the personality does. And I say that because many, many years ago, I did a survey with blog readers and, and it was kind of based on a, almost like a disc type profile. Okay. I call mine deal. And that's because we deal with people and salespeople hope to close deals. And deal <laughs> stands for driver, expressive, mm-hmm. amiable, and illogical. So just mm-hmm. four basic personality types who, that are differentiated by uh, either task oriented or relationship oriented, either liking to be in control or more about self-control. So it's very basic, but most of the time when a salesperson goes into a conversation, they, you know, they're not going to say, Hey, Candy, would you mind taking this Myers-Briggs so Mm -hmm. I could assess your personality and sell best to you? So they've got to make a lot of quick decisions. And I find that this is a very easy way for them to make the decisions. So what I did was I surveyed blog readers and I had them self-select where they saw themselves fall. And then they answered questions and we were able to compare the answers. And what we saw was, yeah, there's, there is a different way to deal with the driver, that person who uh, is task focused and likes to be in control versus the expressive, the person who's really relationship oriented, but also mm-hmm. likes to be in control. And then there's the amiable. You're going to deal with that person a little bit differently. That person mm-hmm. uh, is relationship driven, but doesn't care about controlling others or situations. They're more focused on their own self-control. And finally, that logical person who, like the driver, is very task oriented, but unlike the driver, they're not about controlling people or situations. They're more focused internally on, on their own self-control. And mm-hmm. so we did find that there were different principles that were more effective with those different personality styles. Mm-hmm. I actually did that particular test too. I was in a program and they wanted to see, I think there was like 25 of us in the room. It was a cohort of people and mm-hmm. there was one amiable person. I think there were three logical people and then it was split kind of between the drivers and the expressives. But mm-hmm. it was interesting to really look at yourself even and see where you fall. Um, so those are always interesting. Yeah. When I first took, when I first participated in that, it was about self mm-hmm. and, and I fell in the logical camp. Mm-hmm. And, and people think that I'm an expressive because a lot of times I'm out in front for two days doing a workshop. I love to be on stage and, and present, but I am not a naturally expressive person. I am much more of a thinking, rational person. Um, and when I took it 20 years later, I was still was illogical. But mm-hmm. what I talk to salespeople about, n- not that who you are is unimportant. It's very important right. to understand yourself. But in the sales situation, your focus has to be the other person. Right. Really understanding who they are and then thinking, oh, which principles would would resonate most with them as I try to make a case that my product or service will help them. Right. Right. That's so true. Yeah, I always think it's just so interesting. There's quite a few of these different tests out there even to Mm -hmm. learn about, you know, people and personality types and things, but it definitely is always interesting to consider. And like you said, when you're selling and knowing what is important to them and how to have a conversation with them, you know, even is it someone who wants to just hurry up and get the conversation done? Or is it someone who really wants to have that conversation and get to tell stories a little bit, you know, and understanding all of that too. The more you get to know your client, it helps you with all of the principles. Mm-hmm. The more questions you ask, the easier it is to come back and say, well, Candy, you told me, 
and I'm tapping into uh, consistency. Makes it a little easier for you to probably hear what I have to say and maybe go along with that. It, mm-hmm. it informs me about who you are. So I could say, hey, Candy, you know, we have this in common or I can pay you the genuine compliment. It informs use of social proof because the more I get to know you, the more I can say, Candy, I have some other clients who are in exactly the same position that you're in and here's what they found that worked. Mm-hmm. And of course, you probably think, well, if it worked for people who are like me, it'll probably work for me. Mm-hmm. It informs my ability to give because if I'm going to give something to you, I don't want to just give you, you know, my pen, you know, everybody <laughs> gives away pens, I give something that's, that's meaningful, right. right? That's, that's customized to you that you don't expect all of this getting to know you gives me information about how I can use these principles in the most effective ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, this has been really interesting topic too. I know we're getting, you know, short on time for today because I'm sure this could go on <laughs> for quite a while, just the discussion. But I would love for you to share if you have an offer for the listeners, what that might be. Um, well, I've got a couple of books. So as you mentioned, the first book that came out called Influence People with the subtitle Powerful Every Day, et cetera. Um, that's available on Amazon. And so is my second book, which came out earlier this year on persuasive selling. That's called persuasive selling for relationship driven insurance agents. But I want listeners to know, even if you're not an insurance agent, you'll get a tremendous amount out of the book because while the examples are related to insurance, it follows the the sales process. So if you're in sales, you're prospecting, you're doing first meetings, you're qualifying, presenting, et cetera. And you'll learn the psychology that's most effective at every step. And you'll see that deal model too. Mm -hmm. So you will, if you're in sales, you'll get a lot out of that. The first book's just more about practical application, business case studies, business examples that I've seen, um, use in social media, things like that. So those are the two things that I would direct people to. Uh, If you go to my website, you'll be able to see them and click to it or just go straight out to Amazon and, and look for them. Okay. And so then how can people connect with you and find you, your website or phone number, social media, whatever you'd like to share? So the the two best would be LinkedIn. I post Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on on LinkedIn. So, you know, there's going to be no no shortage of your opportunity to learn more about this. Uh, Go ahead and send a request. If you don't put a note on there that you heard me on the podcast, I guarantee uh, I will reply back and say, how did you find me? I, I've gotten in, I got in that habit years ago, and it, it allows me to understand why people are reaching out. But it also puts the social back in social media because mm-hmm. you end up having you know short conversations. People feel like, wow, you know, this is a real life person who's connecting with me. So I'll, I'll absolutely respond when when you reach out. The other place would be my website, which is influencepeople.biz. And if folks go out there, they're going to see just a ton of material. I've been blogging weekly since 2009. So 13 mm. years, every week, blog posts going out. There are links to my books. Uh, I've done four courses for LinkedIn learning. So you can mm. see previews there. And then if you like those, you can go out to LinkedIn learning and, and actually watch them. I've been on more than a hundred podcasts. All of them are cataloged out there for people to go to. So there's just a tremendous amount of free resources available on the website. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being a guest on the show and sharing your expertise in this area. I know I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. Well, you're welcome. And I appreciate you having me on the show and and giving me exposure to your audience, Candy. (laughs) 
Well, glad to do so. And I also want to just thank the listener for tuning in today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some of your questions on the topic of influence. It's the key to your professional success and personal happiness. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Brian at any of the links that he shared, or you could send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share this show information with those you know? I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's topic. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. And remember, you can find the podcast also posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.